Well, if you're, uh, if you're joining us this morning, welcome. Great to have you here. We've just started last Sunday a new series looking at the letter of First Peter. First Peter, and the series is called Living Hope. And uh, that, that series title is taken from our reading this morning. So we're looking at First Peter, uh, verse 3 through to verse 12 of chapter 1. 1 Peter 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith uh, sorry, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Lord, today as we come to your word, would you just enable your Holy Spirit to illuminate what it is you would have us hear and understand that we may know you better, that we may live for you uh, with hearts that are proved genuine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we go through the letter of First Peter, we're going to be really digging into God's Word. And um, I know many of us these days prefer to use an electronic device for the Scriptures, which is fine. Uh, but I encourage you, during this series in particular, as we go through a book of the Bible, it's really helpful to actually have the Scriptures open. So I encourage you to bring your own Bible or, or get a Bible from the foyer. And what you'll find is, because it's a letter... Uh, we're going to be jumping backwards and forwards as we go through it. So as, as we move along in this series, I'll probably be referring back to various things that Peter has said. It'll make a lot more sense. It'd be so helpful for you as the listener, if you've got an open Bible in front of you, to be able to really engage already uh, in these few verses that we're looking at, I can see connections to the first two verses that we spoke of last week. And this is only going to grow as we journey through First Peter together. So you will get the most out of this series as it, um, 
Firstly, last week we encouraged uh, as a church family to be reading the entire letter uh, just once a week so we really get the overall picture of what Peter is saying. Secondly, if we come prepared and have an open scripture in front of us, it'll really help us just engage with the text uh, that much more. As I've read through 1 Peter 3 to 12 many, many times, there are kind of these four big themes that we're going to talk about, which I think flow together beautifully. And they are new birth, salvation, suffering, and perspective. When I read this passage in 1 Peter, there's quite a lot that Peter says. He really packs so much in uh, to these few verses, these nine verses we're looking at today. Um, How do we make sense of it all? It does actually, there is a flow, there's a logical flow to what Peter's saying, and and you'll see as we go through. But firstly, he'll talk about the new birth that we receive as followers of Christ. And the new birth results in the outcome of the new birth is the salvation we receive in Jesus Christ. We will then see that the outcome of salvation, of having salvation, of being a, a newly born person, a follower of Christ, is in this world you will encounter suffering. And then what Peter wants to do is he wants to give his readers uh, a new perspective, a fresh perspective to view suffering through so that they can endure. Remember that, that the, I guess the large theme of First Peter is encouragement uh, or hope through suffering. So he's writing to a church who is experiencing great persecution, great suffering. Uh, they have been persecuted and many have scattered. They've been exiled uh, to the Asia Minor area, modern-day Turkey now. And Peter's writing to encourage them to keep the faith, and that's where the perspective part comes in. So they're the four key areas that we'll talk about this morning. The first one being new birth. And we see uh, in 1 Peter 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth. Before the, sorry, before the 20, nine months before the 22nd of April 1980, I did not exist. <laughs> and the same will be true for you for your birth date. There was, a, there was a time in history where you didn't exist and you really had no input into your birth. It all happened to you. And this is the same with our our new birth in Christ. It's not something that we ourselves have brought about. It has been done to us. And remember last week, Paul was talking about the foreknowledge of God, that God had predestined to God's elect. And God wants to, and what Peter is reminding again his, his, his listeners, his readers here when it comes to new birth is that you know, this new birth did not come about because of anything they had done, but it came as a result of God's foreknowledge and plan. Now, before birth, there is just complete and utter darkness. There's, there's nothing. And before someone is born spiritually, they are spiritually dead. It's black. There's nothing. And then from complete and total darkness comes the hope of new life. And it's interesting that it's Mother's Day and here we are talking about new birth. And when you think about a little child, there is so much hope tied up in this new little person, isn't there? 
There's all of the hopes and dreams that a, that a parent, in particular a mother, will have for that child. And in a sense, that child has a whole new life ahead of them. And it's much the same when we are spiritually born. A whole new life awaits for us. And there is a hope that we have. But it is a hope that is not fading. It is a hope that cannot perish or spoil. The hope. The theological term for, um, for new birth... Oh, sorry. The theological term for new birth is regeneration. Regeneration. This is a word that theologians use. And regeneration speaks about um, the birth of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a physical birth. Uh, it's a spiritual birth brought about by the Holy Spirit. And in a sense, physically we remain exactly the same, but we have gone from being, we've crossed over from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. And the word regeneration obviously includes the initial birth itself, but it also includes the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to make us more and more like Christ. Regeneration, new birth. And all of this new birth makes me think of that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, in John chapter 3. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, Well, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Many of you will recall this conversation. Now, what's interesting here is that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a religious leader. He is a, a pious person who is seeking to follow the ways of God. He has plenty of religion in his life. And yet, according to Jesus, he is still spiritually dead. He needs to be born of the Spirit. Um, and that reference there, uh, born of the Spirit and of water, could mean a couple of things. In terms of what the water birth, Jesus could be referring to the first physical birth that a person receives. We were born out of water. And obviously the Spirit uh, is referring to the spiritual birth there. It could also be a reference to baptism. Uh, again, passing through those waters of being baptized, of being cleansed, of being made new in Christ. So being born of water and of Spirit. When somebody is reborn, when they experience a new birth in Christ, all of a sudden, they are different. Yes, they, their physical makeup is the same, but they, what really does change, I guess, is what's happening inside a person's heart and a person's life. The Scriptures tell us that no longer is a person who is born again guided and driven by the sinful nature, the old self. Now they are driven and conducted by the new self, by the Holy Spirit. All who are born of God, all who have the Spirit of God residing within their hearts, now have an inner posture towards God, an orientation that wants to please God. And even though we still live with this tension of the old self and the new self, the Spirit is what ultimately is leading and guiding us towards God and to the true person that He desires us to be. We move from being the old person to the new person. And I'm sure it wasn't lost on Peter's original audience 
You know, when, whenever, a, whenever a biblical author uses an image or an analogy, the whole idea is to cause the reader to think about that. And so when we think about new birth, it's caused me, I, I'm a man, I haven't given birth to a child, but I think about from a woman's perspective, there's so much cost involved in birthing a child. Firstly, there's that gestation period where the infant is actually taking up resident, increasingly so, in a, wo- in a woman's womb. And I know from experience of being married to Bron that, you know, as she progressed in her pregnancies, she became increasingly uncomfortable as her organs kind of became pushed and shoved in various ways and sleeping was very uncomfortable. So just the very process of growing a baby comes at a cost. Then, of course, there is the actual birth itself, which is an excruciatingly painful thing. And then thirdly, and again, all women who are mums would understand that once you've actually given birth to a child, you are forever their mother, and a sense of you will always be with them. You, in a sense, give up something of yourself so that this new life can take place and can become all that they can be. This is a beautiful image And I think what Peter is wanting to express to his readers, reminding them that they have been born, given new birth through Christ, is the cost and the sacrifice that Jesus went through, that God the Father went through in sending his son so that children might be adopted into the family of God. There was a price to pay, there was a cost, and God has gone to that extent because he loves us so much. We'll keep moving. 1 Peter 1, 4-5. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter now moves from new birth to talk about salvation. And Peter talks... The the language that Peter uses regarding salvation is inheritance. Uh, Inheritance, we can certainly understand the concept of an inheritance, that when a child is born, eventually a day will come when they will receive some type of inheritance, earthly inheritance, from their parent. And, And what Peter is reminding his readers is that you've been born again. You've been born again, and as a result, you now have an inheritance You have an inheritance as a son or a daughter as God. And it is an inheritance that is guaranteed. It is not going to to spoil or fade. And we can be guaranteed firstly because we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a seal. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, Paul talks about this. And you were also included in Christ when he heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The language of inheritance is very rich and it's closely associated with salvation. We need to be reminded of our inheritance and that's part of the perspective that Peter wants to give his readers Because, yes, we are born into Christ, but as I mentioned a moment ago, we still continue to live in the struggle of sin. And we need to be reminded that we are guided by our new nature and that we are heading towards our inheritance, which is heaven. When the the original readers heard this word inheritance, 
they would have immediately thought of the promised land. Again, a lot of the language of inheritance in the Scripture in the Old Testament is around the promised land. And many of you know the story of the, uh, the Israelites being promised this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, it was a, a good land. It was a land of peace and prosperity. And God led them. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites were disobedient and it took them 40 years to get to the promised land. But it, through the journey of wilderness, it was the hope of a promised land that kept them going. And they were guided by the Spirit of God. And, and it's much the same for us. Peter's listeners are suffering. They're going through their wilderness. And Peter wants to remind them to keep their hope firmly placed in Christ and the inheritance that is to come. And that will sustain them. And that will see them through the dark time. And he reminds them that it is the Holy Spirit that leads and guides them and that journeys beside them. I was fascinated to read this morning this passage from Joshua. So Joshua, this is, this is as the Israelites are entering into the promised land. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. And then there's just this line. And the land had rest from war. So think about this. The journey to the promised land is a journey. They're, they're, they're onward going towards the, the promised land through the darkness of the wilderness. And what, what motivates them, what sustains them, firstly is the Spirit of God which leads and guides them. But it is also the hope of a land of milk and honey. It is a land, a good land. It is a land of prosperity. It is a land of, of plenty. But here also we see that it is a land free of unrest. It is a land free of war and trouble. And isn't that just so beautiful when we think about heaven and we think about that wonderful, glorious vision in Revelation 21 and 22 where it talks about no more tears, no more death, no more suffering, no more sickness. Is that not referring to a land with no war? Uh, it, 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 it's a wonderful vision, isn't it? And that's what Peter wants his readers, his listeners, to stay focused on, is that promised land, that heavenly land. Now, unlike the promised land of the Old Testament, which eventually does spoil and fade. In fact, the Israelites were um, exiled from that very land because of their disobedience in worshipping other gods. See, it didn't last but Peter wants to remind his readers, his listeners, that the heavenly inheritance that awaits them is an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. The promised land of the Old Testament was simply a foreshadow of the greater inheritance, the greater promised land that was to come. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Let's just stop there. So in all this you greatly rejoice. You have been born again. You were birthed at a price. God paid an incredible price through his son for you to be born spiritually to new life. It was nothing you did for yourself. You've been born and you are now a new person. You have left your old way of living. You are now pursuing a new way of living led by the Holy Spirit. And the outcome of this new birth 
is this incredible inheritance that awaits you. Uh, An inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So in this, you greatly rejoice. I want you, listeners, I want you to keep your eyes focused on this. You've been born again. You've been given new life. You were once spiritually dead. You are now spiritually alive. You now have a heavenly inheritance that awaits you, the salvation of your souls. So in this you greatly rejoice. But also I want to acknowledge that you're going through a really difficult time right now. So though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's a sense here of being realistic about what you're going through now is it is difficult. It is difficult. You are suffering because of your faith. You are experiencing all kinds of trials. However, they're not random. God is actually going to use them. There's a purpose in the suffering and in the trial. And through that process, you're being refined, you're being purified so that your faith can become more and more genuine of what it is meant to be. And the genuineness, the increasing genuineness of your faith is going to bring praise and glory and honor. It's going to bring praise and glory and honor to God most importantly because you will be shining as his light as you seek to live differently and walk in the ways of light, not darkness. But it will also result in praise and glory and honor to each one who enters the kingdom of heaven with these words, welcome, good and faithful servant. It's a wonderful reminder. And Peter, you can see, is just continuing to point his listeners and his hearers' eyes on Christ. Suffering. Last week we spoke about the political climate of suffering that the believers had experienced under the Roman Emperor Nero. But there's also other levels of suffering that they were experiencing, particularly the social. What was the social conditions that, um, that surrounded them? Well, here's some interesting things that I learned. Firstly, as we know, um, many of us would know that the Roman culture was a very religious culture. There were lots of different deities, lots of different gods. And um, people could worship whoever they wanted, as long as they also gave allegiance and worshipped the emperor as God. Um, But the Christians were radically different because they would only worship one God and they refused to bow down and worship any other gods and they weren't silent about it either. They were proclaiming and preaching and giving testimony to the fact that there is only one true God. This effectively made them, in their culture and climate, atheists of the faith of the day, as well as traitors. So firstly, these new believers, these followers of Jesus, are atheists of the emperor, and they are traitors of the state. So that's one area. Uh, They refused to worship at pagan temples. Now, when people went to worship, they would bring an offering. 
Uh, and so the, 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 the temples, if you like, became a place of economic exchange. Uh, we see this when Jesus goes into the temple. Now, that's the, the, Christ, that's the uh, Judeo um, Jewish temple. But there were other temples to the pagan gods. And as more and more people came to Christ, they stopped going to the pagan temples and therefore the offerings stopped, which had an economic impact on that place. And so yet again, here are the Christians taking away offerings, taking away money. That's another reason why they suffered persecution and they weren't liked. They rejected and exposed the horrible immorality of their culture. Again, here is one area where they stood out and were different. They lived at a time when sexual promiscuity was at an all-time high. Um, And there was no... the, The whole notion of being faithful to your spouse for life in marriage, uh, the the Christian ethic of sexuality was just so far from the sexual ethic of the day. And as Christians were quite outspoken about this, uh, but also chose to live very different lives, they became increasingly different and separated from the culture around them. And that didn't make people feel too comfortable, and so they persecuted them for that too. Also, they were considered strange and people became suspicious of them for a few reasons. They would have these what they called love feasts where they would supposedly eat uh, the body of Jesus Christ and drink his blood. And so they were considered to be cannibals. Uh, In addition to this, they, they also were considered to be incestuous because they called one another brother and sister, and they used the familial language. We're part of God's family. So again, here's just another little bit of insight into the type of climate that they existed in socially as well as politically that we spoke of last week. And so when we do this little bit of uncovering around suffering, and so when Peter is talking about suffering, this is what he is referring to, very specific suffering for your faith. And we need to be very careful when we're going through difficult times that we don't just extract Bible verses that talk about suffering and apply them to our situation, unless our suffering is directly related to our faith. Just encourage you to be really thoughtful about how we use the scriptures. Oftentimes we will just find texts, we'll kind of cut and paste it to our particular situation and then claim God's blessing or God's provision over a situation when in fact that passage has nothing to do with the fact that your car has broken down. That's just what happens in life. Um, That's not suffering according to the scriptures. So when the scriptures speak of suffering... They speak of suffering, in, and particularly the text we're looking at now, it is suffering because of that new birth. And when you are reborn and you choose to walk in light and not darkness, it is going to cause, if you genuinely seek to live the life of Christ and be obedient to his commands, you will, the scriptures say, in this life, in this world, experience suffering. However, James will go on, and I love this quote by Scott McKnight, suffering when properly understood and applied is the wake following behind salvation's boat. 
Isn't that fascinating? Now that, again, just doesn't that beautifully link Peter's his, his thought process from talking about the inheritance of salvation to then talking about suffering. You see, if your hope is in heaven, if you are seeking to live and walk in the light, you will suffer in this life for your faith. That is effectively the wake of suffering. Now, James talks to us, as we remember, about suffering. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The suffering that we experience as believers has a purpose, a refining, purifying purpose. We go through this stuff so that God can sift through the chaff and the wheat and really discern if our faith is genuine or not. And we see many people, unfortunately, fall away during these times. But those whose faith is genuine will withstand and, in fact, their faith will grow and become more pure. During the holidays recently, Bron and I spent a window of time in Adelaide visiting Bron's cousin. And uh, I don't know if you've been to Adelaide and drunk their water, but it's not nice water. <laughs> and so everywhere has water purifiers, and the house we were staying in had, had one of these. And, uh, you know, for me, it's again, it's just that image of, of being purified, of removing that which is bad in order to make that which is good increasingly evident. Uh, and Peter uses the example of, of, of gold being refined and all of this process of refinement and purification is to bring a more genuine faith about now what's the reverse if we don't experience any kind of suffering or persecution for our faith how can our faith be made more genuine the scriptures seem to indicate that it is only through persecution and suffering that the real genuineness and authenticity of a person's faith comes through. Now, you don't have to go looking for persecution. You don't have to go looking for it. And you don't need to search for it. All you need to do is just live as a believer. Like, just try and be obedient to Jesus Christ and what the scriptures guarantee is that you will experience suffering for your faith. And that's going to look different for different people in different contexts. But when you experience that, maybe even in the workplace, just for having a different opinion, or maybe choosing to speak differently, choosing to love and not reject and not judge, when we live out the ways of Christ and we do suffer discomfort and persecution for our faith, James reminds us to rejoice in that because it's actually going to purify our faith. And through all of this, Peter is giving his readers a perspective that is going to help them endure through the suffering that they're experiencing. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
I'm going to take a crack that when Peter is reminding, he's kind of, it's positive self-talk here in a sense. It's like, I believe in Jesus even though I haven't seen him. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm walking by faith. That sense of reminding ourselves that, yes, I've committed myself. I love Jesus. I've been born into his family. But I think it wouldn't be lost on the readers, the story of Thomas. The story of Thomas where Jesus t- says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Perhaps Peter, in this moment, is encouraging his readers that according to Jesus, you are blessed because you have not seen. He's wanting to remind them of, in a sense, the privileged position that they are in. Yes, Thomas believed because he saw, even I, Peter, the apostle, I saw Jesus. But Jesus actually says that if you believe and you haven't seen, you are blessed. What a wonderful encouragement. Finally, this last section in 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things they have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things." Now, when I first read that, or when I read that several times, it gets a bit confusing. It's a little bit hard to understand. I think the easiest way for us to try and understand this is what Peter is saying, is that, you know, think firstly, when you think about the prophets of the Old Testament, they all suffered because they stood for what they believed in. They suffered persecution. They suffered... Uh, estrangement. They suffered death, ultimately, some of them, for their faith. So firstly, Peter wants to remind his readers that the prophets of old, these incredible prophets that you look up to, that you read the scriptures, they too suffered for their faith. But they didn't have the knowledge of which you now have. Everything that has come before you has been for you to keep you going. The prophecies that they wrote about have have now been fulfilled and you get to be the recipient of having the knowledge of those prophecies being fulfilled in Christ. So they had to have that extra faith that the Messiah would in fact come. You now have both the prophecies as well as the evidence that the Messiah has come, that the prophecies have been fulfilled. Again, is not Peter saying to his readers, you are blessed? See, it's interesting, isn't it? You are blessed because you have not seen, uh, and you are blessed because you have the knowledge that all those who have gone before you didn't have, and they would have loved to have it, but that wasn't part of God's plan for them. So we see in 
1 Peter 3 to 12, the perspective that he is giving his readers. Firstly, the perspective on who they are. They've been born again. They have new life in Christ. The perspective on where they are going. They're going to the promised land, a promised land in heaven where there is no war, a promised land of milk and honey where there will be peace and prosperity and the effects of sin will no longer have their way. You have an incredible inheritance that awaits you. He's given them a perspective on suffering, that in fact through suffering your faith is proven more genuine and more authentic and you will become more of the person that Jesus longs for you to be. You will become more of that newborn child and experience the joy of the hope that, that is there for you. He gives them the perspective of Jesus and his very words saying, if you haven't seen me, you are blessed. And he gives them the perspective on what a privileged position they now find themselves in because they have the knowledge of all of those prophecies that have been fulfilled. Is it any wonder that Peter begins this passage of Scripture by saying, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In him is new life. In him is salvation. That's the, that's the perspective that Peter wants to give his listeners. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again this morning for your word and thank you so much for the perspective that Peter offers us. He offers us the perspective of being born again and we are reminded of the cost that our birth came at to you and indeed to your son so that we may be adopted into your family and called children, sons and daughters of God. We thank you for the perspective that we receive on salvation, that we have that glorious inheritance to look forward to, an inheritance of the salvation of our souls. And Lord, you give us perspective through this passage on how we're to approach suffering and we thank you that we, as New Testament, New Testament Christians, have the knowledge and wisdom and insight of all the prophecies that have come before us. Lord, as we continue to study your word, I pray that you would remind us of this perspective. And I pray, God, that as we seek to live lives that are obedient to you, that you would prove our faith to be genuine, that we may be found faithful on that glorious day when you return and we look forward to receiving that wonderful inheritance of eternal life with you thank you for this time together and thank you lord for your word in jesus name we pray amen